Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Other World. My guest today is Peter St. Andre. Peter is the former CTO of two startups with successful exits, the former head of partnerships at Mozilla, philosopher, coach, a former technologist now focused on advising and training to help people flourish at work and in life. Peter, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be here, Alex. Thanks for having me. So, Peter, you have a fascinating career and, and a fascinating life, but one thing that struck me when I was reading the description is that you stopped reading the news at some point. Can you tell me a bit more about that? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I've started reading a little bit more recently because of other web, which is great. But um, I used to read a lot of news and TV news and read The Economist and, and so on down the line. I was a very early Twitter user, so I was on Twitter basically from the beginning for about the first 10 years. And, you know, I paid a lot of attention to what was going on in the world. And that has its good points, right? You kind of know what your environment is. But on the other hand, uh, in my experience, it was following things that closely was a source of anxiety and stress. So I would learn about things that I couldn't do anything about. And as I reflected, because I'm a sort of a reflective philosophical person, I realized that it's better for me to focus on the things where I can have an impact. So instead of me paying close attention to, let's say, what's going on in some random country in the world, oh, no, the election in the Czech Republic looks bad. And, it, you know, the results might be such and such. And it's a, indicating the trend in Central Europe and blah, blah, blah. I don't have any, I taught English in Czechoslovakia years ago. So I have a little bit of a connection to the Czech Republic, right? And I follow a little bit what's going on there once in a while because I still have friends there, but it's nothing I can do anything about. So I tried to focus more on the team I was building at work, friends and family, my community where I live, volunteering in my community, instead of paying close attention to everything that's going on in the world because it's outside of my span of control. I see. So just to try to sharpen the question, I guess, do you think that the problem is just with the fact of knowing about these events that you have no control over? Or is the problem how these events are presented in the news typically? Well, I think it's both. Uh, so there's a lot of sensationalism uh, in what one reads. And there's a lot of, I think there's two aspects, Alex. One is there, there is a lot of sensationalism. There's a lot of sort of sensationalistic language and the, there's more imagery than there used to be. I'm not a very image focused person. I like to read. I'd rather read something than find it on YouTube or when Twitter added uh, pictures and videos and stuff like that, it really turned me off. I'd rather read things because that's the modality that I like. Um, so, the, you know, the pictures, the videos, the things like that, th there's a visceral quality to that that I find somewhat upsetting. And as a sort of philosophical person, I try to keep my equilibrium in life, uh, you know, as the Stoics or the Epicureans would have counseled uh, back in the ancient days. And so there's there's an emotional aspect to it, but I think there's also an aspect of, yeah, these are things that I don't, they're not actionable for me. There's nothing I can really do about it. Um, 
Henry David Thoreau, who said, read the time, read not the times, read the eternities. And, you know, as a philosophical sort of person, I like to read about what are the commonalities about human existence? What are the things that uh, are lasting as opposed to the latest uh, emergency or what is presented as an emergency, which isn't necessarily so. And isn't even if it is an emergency, it's not necessarily something I can do anything about. So that's a point that I really want to focus on because some emergencies actually catch up with you. And so the person yes. who found out about them earlier might have an advantage <laughs> yes. over a person who only notices the crowd running away and doesn't yet know why, right? <laughs> yes. And so I'm trying to figure out if if it's actually efficient to just tune it all out or if you just need to find some way to filter it to basically only find out the things that you can do something with. <laughs> well, so when I was really on the low news diet, uh, fasting, if you would, I, I like the uh, the dieting analogy. There was a time when I really didn't pay any attention at all for several years. So to give you an example, I had never seen on TV or listened on the radio to Donald Trump during the Trump administration. So I didn't know what he sounded like. I mean, I had a sense of what he looked like, right? You see pictures of him and things like that, but I'd never actually heard the guy speak, <laughs> which is some, perhaps a little bit rare because people will see footage of of Donald Trump or, uh, you know, anyway. So that is something that I wasn't really paying attention to and didn't follow. And for a while there, I really didn't pay any attention at all. Um, I was very busy in my work. Uh, I think this is when I was at a startup and we were really in a growth phase and trying to build a product. And so that's where I was focused. Um, that I've, what I found in that phase was if something big happens, you hear about it. So to give you some more recent news, Russia invades Ukraine. You're going to hear about it one way or the other. People are talking about it. Your friend asks you what, what the story is. I found that if there's something very significant happens in the world, you're going to hear about it. You really can't not hear about certain things. There's an election in the U.S. Who the new president is. You're going to hear about those things unless you're, you're off in the mountains somewhere. Um, what I then started to do was I might, let's say, check the headlines at the Wall Street Journal and NPR once a day. So I found that that was a little bit of a balance, right? So there's like text.npr.org, just textual, didn't have any images. Wall Street Journal, I didn't have an, a subscription, so I couldn't read the stories. I could just see the headlines and I would get a sense of what was going on in the world. Uh, so that, that was sort of a mid ground that I went to uh, because you're right. You do want to know if something major is coming along. Um, the other thing that I tended to do was read long form analysis sometimes. So I would read, let's say, a longer article in the Atlantic or, uh, you know, some uh, bloggers that I would read occasionally and things like that. So I would have a sense of what was going on, but it didn't have that daily churn of, oh, no, here's the new thing that I really need to pay attention to because maybe I don't need to pay attention. Right. So I think. The war in Ukraine is an interesting example that kind of lands close to home because my marketing manager left Ukraine on the night from February 23rd to February 24th last year. 
right? And it just seems like a good example where following the news closely probably gave him an advantage where yes. he actually knew what night to leave. <laughs> if he was two hours late, then he would have just come to the border and they would tell him no men are allowed to leave the country anymore, right? And so to be able to have that kind of exquisite timing, you probably need to have more information than your neighbor, right? For sure, yes. But he see see me as someone living in the States. I have a good friend in Canada, for instance. His wife is came from Ukraine. Her brother's still there. Her mom is still there. He probably pays much more attention to the daily goings-on um, because the town where they are is not close to the action, but it's somewhere east of Kiev. And, uh, you know, so it's it's out there, right? And he's probably more paying more attention than I am because I don't have that personal connection there. But yeah, if I had been there, I might pay more attention. I tend to pay more attention to more local news. For instance, I will read uh, still read a newspaper, actually, that comes, I get it at the library here, and it has information about my town where I live and the county where I live in Colorado. So I will pay a little bit of attention to some of the local stuff because they might be changing some rules and regulations uh, with regard to the zoning of the kind of property that I have or something like that, right? And I, I go to a public meeting on occasion for things that are related to things that have an impact on my life here where I live. Things that happen in Washington, D.C., I can't do anything about. So I just get frustrated with all the, you know, the silliness that, from my perspective, that goes on there. And, you know, what the latest bill is. And some, I heard the Speaker of the House couldn't get, you know, approved if there's X number of votes. And, you know, I don't live there. I'm not in that world. It doesn't do me much good to pay close attention to that kind of thing. So interesting. So I'm hearing basically, a few axes that we can dissect news along. We can sort of place it in terms of proximity to you and probably things that are closer to you are more, th more worth paying attention to. Or we can also place it along some sort of an emotional axis where maybe we can even categorize each story with regards to what emotions it might evoke and try to filter out things that make people anxious or at mm -hmm. least cap it so that we don't produce more than this much anxiety in people. Is that <laughs> a reasonable way to sort of balance out the need to actually know what's going on, especially things that might affect you, with not consuming too much anxiety-provoking content? I think there's a third access to, um, Alex, which is frequency, because there are trends in the world and it's good to know what those trends are. But let's say you're worked up about climate change, okay? Climate change might be a trend. Uh, you might want to know, receive some objective kind of insights about that, what's going on, what some of the potential solutions are. But to every day get a story about climate change this, climate change that, now you're getting into a point where you have, we're almost cultivating generalized anxiety in people uh, because of this drumbeat of news every day. Oh no, now it's this, oh no, now it's that. 
it throws people off. And, it, and I think it's not healthy for us as a society. I certainly found it was not healthy for me as an individual to have always be sort of on your, you know, pushed back on your heels because of you're being bombarded by what's going on. So I, th I think there's a third axis there. And one of the things that I like about the, the other web newsletter is that I can sort of get a little update maybe on a daily or weekly basis and, and read that as opposed to getting that, you know, the drip, 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 almost like a Chinese water torture of, oh, now it's this, now it's that. I think that can be very stressful for people. Yeah, no, th that makes sense. I think also like, climate change is a good example of an event that unfolds pretty slowly. And so you probably don't need daily updates because not much has changed since yesterday. On the other hand, some phases of a war, let's say, you could have meaningful changes every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found with those slow-moving disasters that get manufactured news every day, uh, I, I see politics in Washington as being the prime example where we have elections once every two years. But for some reason, all the newspapers have updates every day. And those <laughs> updates usually look like somebody is demanding an apology because somebody said something about somebody else or somebody is commenting on one party peaking too early in yesterday's poll and it's it all seems like meta on meta on meta on the news it's not actually something new that happened today that might affect people mm. so i guess maybe that is a prime candidate for tuning out well the, the i think there's a lot of things like that you know what's the latest thing that elon musk said uh there's a lot of sort of celebrity news if you would um and it's good for the celebrity right you want megan and harry who are these people i don't even really pay attention i you know we're in the u.s why do i care about the british royalty but there's seems to be stories about the, the these people who are just famous for being famous and Elon Musk is a little bit like that. Like, what's the latest outrageous thing that he said or did? I'm not investing personally in Tesla or SpaceX or Twitter or these sorts of companies, right? I have an index fund that I use for investing. So I don't really, it's not going to change what I'm doing day to day. Um, certainly the, 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 the political wrangling, I find very frustrating. I used to live in the DC area and it's kind of a company town there, right? And it, there's all this inside, we could, what we call inside baseball, uh, you know, about exactly who said what. And it doesn't, doesn't really have an impact, even from a policy standpoint. Let's say I were in, let's say I were a farmer and I wanted to pay attention to agricultural policy or something like that. Then I would have an interest in following what's going on. But even the day-to-day blow-by-blow events about what's happening on some committee, Senate committee or House committee or something like that, I might not need to pay attention to. Interesting. All right. I want to go back to something that you said in the beginning about local news potentially being more interesting than, let's say, news from Washington, D.C. Um, I found that one of the complaints that I heard from people about the news provoking anxiety actually focuses on local news as a prime example of something fairly useless that pr promotes a lot of anxiety. When you read about a stabbing three blocks away or some crime wave that occurred in some neighborhood maybe you frequented once three years ago, um, it seems like that is the main way in which local news gets itself to be relevant but it is probably the least useful information you can have. 
Um, a law in Washington, yeah. D.C. might have more effect on you than a stabbing that happened yesterday at some strip club. And so is local really the right parameter or should it actually be having an effect on you versus not having an effect on you? I think it's probably the latter, although, yes, the depend depending on my context, and this is part of the challenge, of course, if we're going to use AI or something like that to determine what matters to someone, it's very contextual. Uh, like I say, if I were a farmer, I'd be caring about agricultural policy. If I were in the nuclear power industry, I'd want to know what if there's going to be changes, uh, you know, to, to that regulatory regime. Um, there, there are local stories that I find have a little bit more relevance for me uh, because I'll give you an example where I live is sort of out in the country and they were changing, like I said, they were changing the zoning, some zoning rules to make it easier for people to have um, biz run businesses out of their house. And they were, so there were some meetings with the county commissioners and all that kind of stuff. And I was following that a little bit because it might have an impact all of a sudden there's more, more people running a business out of their homes here and tractor trailers going up and down the road and they're not built for that and all that kind of stuff. So there was discussion, a lot of discussion about this, not a lot, but a little bit. So I was paying some attention, but yes, that sort of daily issue of, yeah, the, the sheriff's department, uh, you know, found another car thief and uh, cause there's a lot of car thefts going on in Colorado and you know, there's all these stories about, uh, well, you know, the sheriff's found someone else and then, you know, they stopped them and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. Well, those things happen, but uh, do I need to know that all the time? Because I think that if you are just paying attention to the crime reports and there's the old line about the TV news, if it leads it, if it bleeds, it leads. Now I'm paying attention to those things and I get worked up and I think crime is actually worse than it is. That's not very good for me either. Or for people in my community, a lot of people now people don't even let their kids out. Uh, at all because they think they're going to get kidnapped. But these things happen very, very infrequently, as I understand it. However, now there's sort of, like I say, generalized anxiety. Oh, I can't let the kids out because into the yard or, or play with the neighbor kid unsupervised out in the street and play some, you know, stickball or something like that because maybe they'll get kidnapped. And now because I've heard about a story in at some random town in Virginia and I'm in Colorado you know, when now we know about things and it seems more frequent than it is. So I think that's part of the, the, the situation there. Yeah, I think up until 2015, you had constantly reducing crime with constantly raised awareness of crime. People <laughs> yes. thought that crime is going up. Um, in the past seven years, it seems like it's finally true. Crime is going up. But uh, I, I think that has <laughs> its own reasons. Um, I guess... From your description, it seems like a healthy information diet or a healthy, healthy news diet would be pretty unique to each person. It has to be customized. Mm. The problem is that it sounds like for one person to customize his own diet this way or her own diet this way would be fairly complicated. So it almost sounds like we're getting into the territory where someone has to know everything about us. <laughs> to be able to customize our diet yes but then we generally don't like it when google or facebook or somebody like that gathers a lot of information about us um so is there a, a solution a way to thread the needle here 
Well, I just certainly did a lot of work when I was at Mozilla on um, the problem that you're describing about information capture and profiling of users. And we were the user agent, as the, some people call the browser. And so we were trying to uh, fight against that and try to protect users. A lot of that is done for the purpose of marketing and selling things to people. The more I know about you as an individual, the better I can show you ads. And so much of the internet is driven by ads. So that's a, that's a, we could talk about that. Like let, let's just idealize for a moment and say, Hey, you know, we, if we had a, an idealistic, uh, you know, non-tracking based technology that would enable a filtering system to know about you and provide you a better diet of information and news and not use that for tracking and profiling purposes. Might that be great for people? Maybe. Um, I'm not saying that it would be easy to build that, right? Or that it would be anyone would want to because someone's going to want to be paid for that kind of thing. But absent that, we need to have maybe some more generalized principles for, uh, you know, not having that drumbeat of information and having it or having it filter out the sensationalistic stuff. Um, but it is going to be very individual, individualized. And that's where having some control, user control over what that flow is so that it's not the fire hose, but it's more sipping from something that is more reasonable for people. Uh, you know, and some people love to sip from the fire hose and they love to be on top of things and know everything that's going on. So I'm not saying as a general rule in society, we should prevent that kind of thing because some people like to uh, consume information that way. It's just not my style. And I think in general, it's, it hasn't been good for people individually to have that sort of sipping from the fire hose experience because it will drive you crazy. Right. I, I think a lot of people are completely addicted to it. So <laughs> I wouldn't even say that they want to. It's that they're now in this pos position where it's hard to stop. But still, I want to go back to the privacy debate a little bit more because an example that you used kind of stuck with me. You said that a zoning provision in your town might affect you, but it only affects you because you're in that town and because you own your home probably and because it's relatively rural let's say instead of being urban dense housing um, in which case you probably wouldn't be affected by zoning so for a third-party service to know that this <laughs> article is relevant to you but not relevant to somebody living in an adjacent town in colorado in a high-rise <laughs> let's say yeah. they have to know a lot about you yes so they have to do tracking and profiling, essentially. The one thing that we can say we don't want them to do is to use that tracking and pro profiling information to sell you ads or to resell it to third parties, right? But it sounds like tracking and profiling are necessary. Otherwise, you are the one that has to input all of this information to the new service to be able to select the right stories. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, just to drill down on this one, because it's a real life example for me. So my wife and I live sort of outside of town, outside of Denver, and we live in an area that there's different zonings in, in the different 
parts of the county where we are. And uh, we are in a zoning where it's a five acre minimum and it's called rural residential. And then there's other areas not that far, not far, far away. It's called the state residential. So they have like a two acre minimum. And this affected only the people who are in the five acre minimum, not the people in the two acre minimum, because they were trying to encourage people to have you got a lot of space, right? You can have a big barn and, ha- and have a, you know, run a, a little business out of your barn or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very individualized. My neighbor who lives right behind me, he's in a state residential because he's in the next neighborhood over, doesn't, wouldn't have any impact on him. He wouldn't really care. What I have to do is I would go out to the county and look at what the meetings are that are coming up and they would have some information about what's on the agenda and stuff like that. And then I say, Oh, well, that looks interesting. It looks like it could have an impact on me. Now I have to of course be proactive and follow to some extent what's going on and sort of determine for myself, go out there and determine is this news or not for me. Um, So for someone else to have that context about me, and maybe they would maybe I, they would know that I'm politically apathetic and I don't care what happens in my neighborhood right so at that level it's almost very difficult to know what someone's going to care about right so you would have to have a lot of information about someone in order to make make it so that they don't have to do anything and things are perfectly filtered for them so that it only provides information that's relevant and doesn't provide any information that's irrelevant to that person. You would have, we'd have to know an awful lot about someone. Yeah. I'm not even talking about an idealized scenario like that. <laughs> maybe they have to do something. And maybe we only need to give them information that is relevant to them 70% of the time and 30% mm. will be false positives, right? That still seems like it would be an awful lot better than what the news looks like right now, where the majority of the stories you see have absolutely nothing to do with you. And there's yes. no way you can aff- affect the outcome in any way. Um, so the question is, maybe there's a balance there. Going back to something that we discussed several times already, which is generalized anxiety. Um <laughs> Does it make sense to classify the news by the emotion that the story typically produces? Or is that too superficial in a sense? <laughs> well, I know, I know, Alex, you're interested in stoicism. So, you know, we can talk about emotion. Um, I am a little bit more of an Aristotelian. And uh, so I think that, you know, well, there's different views about stoicism. We could get in a whole philosophical discussion, right? But there are people who feel or think that the stoic position is emotions are bad, which I don't actually think was the stoic position, but not to get into deep into the philosophical aspect. Sometimes it's right to get worked up. Sometimes it's right to be emotional about things. Maybe it's, you should be angry that a country got invaded, or you should be angry that there's some outrage in the local government or in the state government, right? So I'm I'm not saying emotions bad, um, necessarily because it depends on the context and uh some sometimes it's but there's a lot of that you read where it's designed to cultivate emotion because the news outlet is trying to get you to come back 
right? So I think there's a lot of false emotion or manufactured emotion in the news. And I think we can, other web does a good job of filtering that kind of thing out because we try to, you know, figure out what the sensationalistic material is or what the language is. But I'm not saying that it's always bad to get riled up about what you read, but on a daily basis to have that, that, you know, emotional hit, if you would, uh, like a sugar high mm -hmm. or, a, you know, someone poking you in the side, like, oh, now you've got, you know, your, your emotions get all uh, riled up. I don't think that's healthy, but I'm not saying that it's always bad to have to filter out all the emotion because we are human beings. We get emotional about things. Yeah, I'm not talking about filtering out all the emotion. It's, I know that you're friendly with the founder of Goodable, right? And so I'm just thinking they're focusing on things <laughs> that produce positive emotions. Right. Um, is there an argument to be made that a healthy news diet must balance the different emotions? And only 30% of the stories <laughs> you consume should be anxiety-provoking. 20% should be fluffy kittens. And may maybe you need some combination that perhaps you even adjust for yourself based on how prone to stress you are in general. Well, we all need fluffy kittens. So, you know, that we need more fluffy kittens in life. Um, that balance is, of course going to be different for different people, right? So if you are an activist, let's say, um, on societal issues or something like that, you might be able, to, you might actually want to be in that state more. You're actually, this is part of what motivates you to go out there and fight the good fight is that you know about these issues and you care about these issues. And that's what keeps you going is having that feed of things that keep you outraged as, as it were and keep you um, at a little bit more of a fever pitch because that's what your life is about. You're an activist. Um, so it's going to vary by person again, uh, which is part of the challenge. Oh, that, that makes sense. All right. If we try to zoom out from the news and look at other general types of content, it seems like news is just, everybody's focus right now because it's almost the shared reality that we can all discuss and therefore it's taking up mm. so much space in our lives but most of the content that people consume is not actually news it's random videos on tiktok or <laughs> sports or other things that i wouldn't classify as an event uh, that people can follow or report on so are there any general rules for consuming information in general that you can think of? Just to go back to, for a moment to news, because I've been thinking about this recently, is what does it mean for something to be new? Right? Because you're on the internet, you get email, you're on Twitter, you're on YouTube, uh, you know, there's a new video that's posted. There's a new text. There's a new thread on Twitter. There's something new in your timeline, uh, you know, on Facebook or whatever. So, uh, so much of things is driven by what I, I would see a manipulation of human psychology of wanting to know you, what your situation is and wanting to know you're here, you know, think about the, uh, you know, human beings 200,000 years ago, there wasn't, there weren't screens and TV and stuff like that. There was gossip and there was your senses and you would hear this 
you know, this stick crack in the in the woods. Maybe it's a tiger, you know, or maybe it's a bear or something like that. Um, so we're we're very attuned to what's new, and there's there's a conflation of what's new with what's important, and I think that's a lot of the root of my what why I pull back from news specifically is because I don't equate newness with importance or even with urgency, but we have sense of that we're cultivating in people that it's new. It must be important. I must have to pay attention. Um, and I think that's the root of my concern about what a lot of what's going on. And so a lot of what is also the things that you might notice you know, you go to YouTube and now, oh, they show you something new be because you haven't seen this thing before and they know you haven't watched it before. And now it's something that maybe is going to get your attention uh, because of the way it's described and see what's next, right? And you, so you're going to have to click that one. So even though it's not news, it's new to you because of how the how things are presented to you in those systems. Right. I think my definition would be even more narrow. I would mm -hmm. say that news only applies to things that are information that is recent and is being reported in some factual way. Mm -hmm. Right. And most things in the world are neither of those three. Right. <laughs> so most things aren't information. Most things aren't recent. And most things aren't actually reported. You either watch them unfold or you hear some secondary account, mm -hmm. meta information. Right. And so we already have this situation where many things that aren't technically news are being reported by news outlets, yes. which is already weird. Um, <laughs> one of the weird examples I've seen lately is Forbes actually has a page where it ranks protein powders. And, and when you search best protein powder on Google, that page is in the top two of, the, of results on Google. And Forbes is a news outlet. They are really good in a particular category of news, which is financial news, right? I doubt they're very good at ranking protein powders, but that is what Google thinks is the best source of knowledge on this topic. <laughs> um, and I don't think that that is necessarily recent. The best protein powders don't change very often. For the most part, it's the same companies for the, for the past 30 years at least. And so you have that of news entities cannibalizing the rest of the information market, right? But mm -hmm. you also have things that aren't even supposed to be reported or recent or anything like that. You watch a video of somebody dancing on TikTok. It's not even pretending to be news, right? It's not, mm -hmm. not trying to compete for that. But it might still succeed or fail based on evoking certain emotions. Mm -hmm. So if you're constructing an information diet for yourself, you should probably consider how many of each type of video you want to consume, right? Right. Well, okay. So now, yes, we're now we're talking about information dieting. And I do like the analogy because different, you know, what diets work for me don't work for you. Everyone's different. There's, you know, biochemical individuality. And so, you know, dieting is very personal. What you eat is very personal. And I think the same is true of one's information diet. I personally don't absorb things very well through my ears. Podcasts, I don't actually listen to. I like to have these conversations with people on podcasts, but I don't actually listen to them because I don't get a lot 
out of them. That's not my ears are not my primary sense for absorbing things. So I read things and I actually, um, I don't like moving pictures. I actually sometimes can get a little ill from things moving around on the screen. Uh, so I don't like TV. I don't like, I don't go to movies. I don't watch, I haven't watched TV probably in 15 years or go to, I very rarely go to a movie and I don't watch movies. I don't like things moving around on the screen. So if I go to, uh, you know, Twitter, when they added the videos, now things are moving around. It actually jars me physically to see things like that. And so I'll even sometimes get dizzy just from having these things moving around on the screen. So for me, the information diet is to read things. And in my browser, I'll turn off images because I find the images sensationalistic. So I just want to read the text. Um, I prefer to read physical books over eBooks and I prefer books over magazines and I prefer magazines, long form magazines over news, you know, daily news sources. So I have this kind of hierarchy of the things that I consume. And most of them, I try to like Thoreau said, uh, you know, read, not the times, read the eternities. I try to read things that are uh, more about human nature um, not necessarily old stuff, although I read a lot of old things, uh, you know, from because uh, I read ancient Greek and Latin and things like that. So I, I like to read stuff from, that's about, you know, human nature more generally. And I read sometimes novels. I'm currently reading War and Peace because it has a lot of insights into hu human character and human personality and culture and things like that. And even when I'm reading about what's going on in the world, I would prefer to read books or sometimes long form articles. And that's what works for me is to have those more solid things, whether it's science or history, for instance, then or psychology and things like that, as opposed to analysis. I mean, how many analyses do I need to read of the 2022 elections in the US? But every blogger, every Substack writer and so on, they all had their analysis and they're pretty much all saying the same thing. So I don't get a lot of value out of those things. I'd rather read a large book uh, you know, about history because I get more insights that way. It seems that most of society is trending in the opposite direction of the <laughs> one you're describing. Mm -hmm. Is that good, bad, inevitable, or can we reverse it by advertising long form or timeless content to people? Um, basically, what's the approach towards trying to mm. better people's lives? Do you need to convince them that their preferences are wrong? Or do <laughs> you need to accept their preferences as they are and then just choose which subset of the population you want to cater to given their preferences? Well, that's a big, big question, Alex, there. Um, I have to think about that. Um, supposedly, the high point of reading culture in UK, US, and so on was like 1945. This was before TV came in. People were listening to radio. Literacy was very high. People would, their paperbacks had come out, right? And so, yes, there were daily newspapers and even evening newspapers, right? And all that. Uh, but the reading culture was very strong at that time in history, probably also because it was right, you know, right after World War II, people didn't have a lot of money. They would go to the library and read things and things like that, right? So um, 
we've been on a steady decline since then. Uh, every technology that has come along, people say is going to be the end of the world, whether it was TV and then the internet and now the shorter and shorter attention cycles that we have with TikTok and things like that. Um, it seems inevitable to me. Um, I don't think it's a good thing. I think that human beings need to use the minds that they've been given and know more about the underpinnings of things, uh, whether that be science or history or whatever, than about the latest fun thing that they're getting entertained by. And, and it's really mental junk food. It's like going you know, to the supermarket and they have all that junk that they sell you right at the, at the checkout there. Um, that's what people are getting sold and not to get into a conversation about the education system, because I don't really have great insights into the education system, but maybe, you know, we're not exposing people to novels like we used to because it's too much work. And so uh, people don't want to do that much work and read, you know, Tolstoy or read whatever. And so they like to read something that's a lot easier and you didn't don't have to go to the encyclopedia anymore. You can just go to Wikipedia, which is, you know, it's not really an encyclopedia at some level. It has long, much longer stories about Harry and Meghan than it does about some great historical event and things like that, because that's what the people create on Wikipedia. So um, I think it's sort of inevitable we'll be, we're becoming a post-literate society. And I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing for our future, but there's nothing I can really, you know, put my finger in the dike like the little Dutch boy. There's not much that I can do about it other than try to live the life that I like to live, which is a much more reflective life that's hopefully basing decisions and, and insights on knowledge and history and science, as opposed to whatever's hot and cute right now. It does seem like there is a counterculture. So the videos mm -hmm. on TikTok are getting shorter and shorter and TikTok videos are shorter than uh youtube videos which were already shorter than what was produced on tv before etc <laughs> yeah at the same time podcasts are getting longer and longer yes and the the longest one i've seen was uh balaji shrinivasan on lex friedman's podcast that was seven and a half hours right <laughs> um and and it seems like that's just the new record somebody's bound to break it yeah uh, so is that the, just an evolutionary stable strategy where the majority is going to do one thing but the minority will do the opposite and they will balance each other out or is there a way to put a finger on the scale somehow hmm. well let, let's let's look at something that's a little bit off to the side of that but perhaps similar which is music so it used to be that you had you know beethoven and mozart and bach and people like that and yes there there was a you know, Bach was writing music for the church services and people would go to the church and hear the music if they lived in Leipzig. And and now we consider, you know, Bach to be a, one of the greatest composers, if not the greatest composer ever. He was somewhat pop, you know, there was a popular aspect. But if you look at something like classical music, it was an elitist activity. And the the popular music didn't really, you know, didn't get recorded and didn't get put into sheet music and stuff like that. It was a folk phenomenon. Um, it's very easy to, to think you're very smart and, uh, you know, whatever's popular is bad. And, and that's not, I try to resist that uh, in myself to, to have that sort of attitude. But 
there are always people who say, you know, well, rock and roll came along and, oh, well, it's going to corrupt society and it's, it's, it's not very intelligent music. It's not very well created and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so there, there, we have sort of a very popular culture now because we have the technology to create things for, for people that they'll just enjoy. Um, and we have the, you know, the technology to find those things and get, be entertained. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, you know, cute, that cute cat videos are fun. Um, if that's all you, if that's, if that's the, you know, the extent of your information diet is only to get things that are sort of dumbed down to the lowest common denominator. I don't think you're, you know, you're, you're missing out on some things, but I wouldn't certainly think that it's. I don't think it's something that we need to steer people away from necessarily. I think it's kind of sad that there are a lot of people who don't sort of ever get anything else. Um, and there are fewer, we have more concentration, as you say. So there are people still reading and the people who read actually read more than they ever probably did. But there are a lot of people who never pick up a book or they never go to the library and they never get a magazine or, you know, read anything that's longer. All they're getting is those little clips um, that provides some entertainment. And I think it's kind of sad that people live that way, but you know, I don't think it's something that we should actively necessarily fight against in the sense that let people do what they want. But I don't, you know, I don't know where that's leading, I guess. So I'm hearing a bit of inevitability or determinism <laughs> on this. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So essentially people's preferences are going to drift in whichever way people prefer them to drift. It certainly seems that way. Uh, I haven't seen, like you say, I mean, there, there's sort of a counterculture of people who are, who are, you know, reading and, and listening to long podcasts and, and, and creating longer podcasts and a lot of analysis and, and things like that. And that's great. Um, but I don't think most people are going to go in that direction myself. Takes a lot of hours. So who's got seven and a half hours to listen to this podcast? Even if you do it double time, it's still going to be three and a half hours. Yeah, I, I love both of the guys in that episode, and I couldn't listen to seven and a half hours. I don't have the time. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's an interesting trend, and I think the podcast versus TikTok, in a sense, is emblematic of what you said with books versus, I don't know comics let's say even comics are probably passe now too many words right <laughs> yeah uh, it, it needs to move faster and be animated and not have words in it so it's an interesting trend in general if we can sort of try to get to the summary of this if you could i don't want to say design but if you could envision a perfect world where people have the ability to consume information in the way that is optimal to them. What does that look like and what does that differ from what we have now? Well, I, one of my, uh, I like to come up with the aphorisms and one of my personal aphorisms is utopia is not an option. Um, so I don't really sit around designing perfect worlds in my head because I don't think that those perfect worlds will come to pass. Um, in terms of my own, I'm going to go back to Marx for a minute, uh, the thesis on Feuerbach, and where he said, you know, the, the until now the philosophers have want have been interpreting the world, and the point is not to interpret the world, but to change the world. 
And so he had this vision of, you know, let's get, let's change the world. And um, I'm, I guess I'm not, I th actually think in the ancient days, whether it's Buddhism or uh, Stoicism or whatever, um, Taoism and so on, the, the point of living a more reflective, examined life was to change yourself. So I, I have sort of consciously thought less about how to change the world and how to create this a perfect world and more about how can I improve myself? You know, Tolstoy said that the, the, the most important, the best revolution and the most permanent revolution is the inner revolution where you're improving your, your, yourself and not trying to change the world. Cause everyone has opinions about how to change the world, but no one wants to change how they behave. Uh, they also want to all want to change how someone else behaves. So I try to resist that temptation of saying, well, people should do this and people should do that. Um, I think it's best to live a more reflective life, a more examined life, and to think about, you know, how you can improve as a person. And I think part of improving as a person is not to be at the mercy of these technologies that are making lots of money by entertaining you and dumbing you down and showing you little clips and getting you all worked up and pandering to your emotions. I think, uh, you know, we have brains for a reason and I think we should use them. And I, I try to use them. The one I've been given um, in a perfect world, I think more people would be more reflective and think about the technologies that they're interacting with and what the impact of those technologies is on how they think, how they feel, how they live their lives. Um, but there are a lot of forces out there to make a lot of money off of people not doing that sort of thinking for themselves, whether it's people not thinking for themselves politically or people not thinking for themselves uh, with regard to the news or information. And there's a lot of money to be made by manipulating people. And so people are going to try to make the money because that's how they you know, have power and success in the world. But I don't think it's very healthy for individuals and I don't think it's very healthy for society. It's funny. There, there's so much there that I feel almost obligated to respond to. Uh, <laughs> starting with the idea that Marx's desire to change the world should have started with a basic understanding of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, th there is that. That's kind of a problem. Yeah, if, if you're trying to change the world's economy and society while still thinking that you know prices should be determined by how much labor went into things, which was pretty demonstrably untrue even back then, I'm pretty sure. Yes, um, yes it, it, it leads to bad things happening. I, I'm not sure we should have had the experiments to verify that point like we did in the 20th century. Um, uh, right. The other thing that I cannot get out of my mind is it's true that there's something really unhealthy about a person who cannot get their own affairs in, in order, but they're trying to tell everybody else how to live and change the world. But on the other hand, if you are accomplished and reflective and generally, you know, you got your own affairs in order, I would want you to try to change the world because <laughs> if not you, somebody else will, and they will not be as good. Right. Uh, so. Well, well, that's nice if you just maybe think that of me. Um, here again, it's it's a question of scope and uh, 
what's in one span of control. So for instance, I write these little books. Um, I'm currently writing a book on Aristotle's views on human flourishing, which is informs a lot of where I, but I've written books on Epicurus and, and Thoreau and Nietzsche and people like that. And I self-published them. So if I were getting more serious about trying to get some better views out in the world. Maybe I would try to get real publishers and promote myself and all those kinds of things. And maybe I'll try to do that with the Aristotle book because I think it's going to be pretty good. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't believe in gurus. I don't believe in experts and I don't really want to become a guru or an expert, but as you say, someone's going to fill the void. And if people who are, have their heads screwed on straight, don't do that, then people who don't have their heads on, screwed on straight will be the ones providing uh, ideas for people. And maybe that's not so good. So maybe I should become, you know, maybe I should promote myself more and things like that, but I don't really like to do that kind of thing, but I suppose at some level you have to, um, I do think that there are a lot of – it's unfortunate the fo a lot of the folks who do engage in self-promotion and have a voice who I don't think aren't very healthy for the culture. Uh, we've certainly seen some people like that recently with these, uh, you know uh, – anti-Semitic comments that people make. And just because you have a platform and you're well-known, whether you're a celebrity or not, uh, doesn't mean that you are saying things that are, that are healthy or true. And we should be resisting folks like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's always, I go back to this, this line about reading the eternities, right? I mean, there's, we've known, you know, we've kind of known since the Stoics and Aristotle and Plato and and the Buddha and so on, uh, a lot of wisdom about how to live life and how to sort of manage yourself and control yourself and become a more uh, temperate person and have some equilibrium. And it's not that hard. And at some level, it's not that hard. We, this is ancient wisdom. We've known for for you know thousands of years, sort of how to regulate oneself and so on. Um, but unfortunately, these are lessons that people need to learn every generation and everyone sort of needs to learn them. And maybe we used to have more of a culture that cultivated those things and it's good and bad, right? So if you learned how to regulate your emotions and regulate your actions, um, maybe that leads to sort of more of a repressed lifestyle at some point. And people wanted to, certainly in the 60s, want to let it all hang out and do whatever you please and, and uh, you know, have fun in life. And I think you can have fun and be sort of more of a serious person and, and regulate yourself a little bit more than a lot of people seem to want to do. Um, but that's not the, the trend in society is much more like indiv total individualism and, you know, have fun and do what you please and live for the moment and all those kinds of things. And I don't think personally that that's what leads to a truly happy, successful life, but that's the attitude that a lot of people have. And I don't, you know, you we'd almost need sort of some sort of major event in the world where we have to sort of get more serious in life. Now, if you're in Ukraine or someplace like that, you've had to get more serious. But in the States, ever, you know, life is pretty easy. You don't have to work that hard and you can live well and have fun and go out with your friends and hang out on TikTok and just enjoy life. But at some point, 
you know, we'll have a more serious moment where we have some sort of existential crisis like the Great Depression or something like that. And people will have to sober up a little bit and maybe they'll get a little bit more serious. But until that happens, I don't really see that sort of change occurring in, in people's lives on a general basis. Yeah, perhaps there is some golden mean between being repressed and being emotionally incontinent. <laughs> you don't have to pick one of those two. No, you don't. You don't at all, I think. But uh, this is the image that people have, like, oh, if you don't let it all hang out, then you're going to be a square or you're going to be boring or you're, and things like that. I like to say dare to be dull uh, it's, it's because it's a little bit controversial. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there is, of course, a golden mean there as there is with everything else. And on that dull note, I want to thank you for joining us today. <laughs> um, thank you, Alex. It's been fun. We should do this again sometime. We absolutely will. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, that's it for today. Thank you.